You guys may have a seat. Whew, God's good, isn't he? Ah, he's so good. Well, we get to keep going today in this sermon series through the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah, thank you, JJ, is all about uh, how God works through his people to rebuild their broken city. Seems kind of relevant, doesn't it? But it all started in 445 B.C. when the Jews in Jerusalem had this mammoth task to rebuild the defense walls around their city. And the reason why they had to rebuild them in 445 is because 140 years earlier, the Babylonians came through and completely just decimated the city, including its walls, and carried the people off to exile. But 70 years after Jerusalem was destroyed, the Persians kicked the Babylonians out of the Middle East and then gave the Jews permission to return to Jerusalem. And so they did. But when they returned, they began to rebuild the temple. And that took a number of years. And when, they were ti- when it was time to now rebuild the defense walls around the city, the, king of, the new king of uh, Persia, named King Artaxerxes, issued a cease and desist order because he had the illegitimate fear that they were going to grow too strong and revolt. And this is bad news for Jerusalem. We've been talking about this every week, how an ancient city without defense walls lives in constant insecurity. It's much like a, a city today, we've been saying, without solid, trusted law enforcement they lived in constant, like, like their enemies could, could attack whenever they wanted to, pillage at will. They had them like, they, their enemies were like puppet masters and Israel was like the puppet, just controlled and manipulated because they had no way to defend themselves. So they returned from exile, but now only to face this dark cloud of despair. However, God placed on the heart of a man named Nehemiah the vision to now go lead his people in a process, in a mission of restoration. And so we talked about a couple weeks ago how in Nehemiah chapter 2, forgive me, it was last week, Nehemiah chapter 2, Nehemiah says, all right, come on, keep your eyes on God and we're going to do this thing. And so they strengthen their hands and they, they ready themselves for the mission to build the wall even while their enemies are mocking them. And then Nehemiah chapter 3, you see that the, all the people are of one heart and one mind building together. Nehemiah chapter 3, I think, reads like a, like a, like a sports lineup. On the sheep gate, we have Eliashib, you know. Bedding cleanup at the dung gate, we have Malacca, right? Like, like, I don't know. I made that name up. Who was it? Malkija. I was close. All that to say, like, that's chapter 3. They're of one heart. They're of one mind. But then once we get to Nehemiah chapter 4, when everything seems to be looking up and hopeful, we're going to see that before things get better, they're about to get worse. Sometimes when we're climbing the mountain, the mountain gets more steep before we get to the peak. And this is where I believe Nehemiah chapter 4 has such a relevant word to speak to us today, here and now. Last March, when the pandemic hit, my first thought was, this isn't good. But surely this will be done by Easter. But then I had friends lose jobs. Some of you lost loved ones. April came. One month became two. And all of a sudden, like, well, okay, so it's going to be a little longer, but surely it's not going to be a whole lot longer. Two months became four. 
The underlying racial tensions in our nation began to take front page news. The companies that weren't doing, bef- doing well before the pandemic began to fold. And then four months became eight. <laughs> and now we're on the verge of this very important election. And we feel the tensions going on around us as a nation. And, and we're wondering, uh, when will it really get better? And we're starting to look at our news headlines, and they don't seem very hopeful either. So I was somebody who came and saw this and thought, well, it's going to get better soon. But then all of a sudden things started getting worse before they started getting better. And I don't know about you, but when I have an expectation that something's going to get better soon and it doesn't, I feel the gravitational pull of self-pity, anger. I want to cast a mask off, say, just forget all of this anyway. Or like this week, I Google searched, can human beings hibernate through the winter? I don't recommend it. I'm not suggesting it. But it gets to that place, right? We're like, when will it really get better? And sometimes situations do get worse before they get better. And this is very similar to what the Jews in Jerusalem were facing. Because when they initially got started, man, they were, they were, they were all fired up. But now they're halfway through with the wall and the excitement has worn off. The, the work has become more difficult. The, 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 the blisters have yet to form calluses. And they're starting to wonder what is happening. And in the midst of that, when they're most weak, that's when the greatest opposition hits. So how do they remain focused on what God had for them, even in the midst of such discouraging situations? And for us here north of Boston in 2020, we live in a community full of people without hope. They do not know that there's a God who loves them. They do not know that God bore the penalty of their sin for them, that they might have a relationship with him for eternity. They do not know that he wants to restore them. And as a church, our mission is to allow God to restore and work in us, and as he does that, to then speak his message of restoration to this world. But when the challenges just keep coming, it can become so discouraging overwhelming. Like I say, Nehemiah 4 is quite relevant, don't you say? So how, what is it that we can learn from them? And if I could sum up my whole message in one statement right here, and I'll break it down here soon, but as the challenges keep coming, we remember who our God is. We remain ready for opposition, and we rally together. Nehemiah chapter 4, let's do it. Let's dive in together. Nehemiah chapter 4, we're going to start at verse 6. And just a reminder, again, they are halfway done with building the wall. But now things are going to get more difficult before they actually get better. How do they stay focused on God's mission? Nehemiah 4 verse 6. You guys ready? You guys ready? All right, making sure. So we built the wall. And all the wall was joined together to half its height. So the people had a mind to work, but when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is 
failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space, behind the wall, in the open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When the enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half my servants worked on construction and half held the spears shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, The work is great and widely spread. And we are separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us there, our God will fight for us. Everybody say, our God will fight for us. But I'm not done. Verse 21. So we labored at the work, and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. And I also said to the people at that time, Let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes, that is, their armor. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. Pray after me. Say, God, show me what you want me to see. Speak to my heart. Speak to my mind. Change my life. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, none of us have experienced a season like we're in right now. My 2020 vision was not this. (laughs) My guess, it wasn't yours either. I know very few people. Some people say Steve Jobs predicted this. I I don't know, right? (laughs) I don't know. Only God knew what was coming our way. But when we we face these initial wave of challenges, I I think we have the strength. All right, you know what? We'll get through this. But as, as the waves keep on coming, as the challenges keep coming, and we start to feel worn out, where are we tempted to then look? Some of you, you're very much glass half full kind of people. But for many of us, our glass is feeling awfully empty. (laughs) And what is often our response when we begin to feel that way? If you're taking notes, you write this down. When tough situations get worse, our instinct is to turn inward and miss the big picture. See, the wall project began with a burst of faith. But now it's in danger of fizzling out. When they first got started, they they could see that God was finally bringing them from the ashes. The king of Persia gave Nehemiah permission and resources to now go build this wall. Perhaps God had a good plan for them after all. And so they get right into work. But now circumstances are starting to go south and the old familiar despair is creeping in. What's going on here exactly? Well, first... The work itself is beginning to become more difficult. You know, to build this wall, they were not ordering supplies from Home Depot. They were digging through the rubble and the ruins to find reusable materials. 
But now that the wall is halfway done, they're, they're foraging for scraps and they're lifting them up higher than they did before. So the work has become more tedious, physically exhausting. But second, right as they're exhausted, that's when the opposition begins to heat up. Last week we met Sambalot from the north, Tobiah from the east, the Arabs from the south. But this week we get to add another one, the Ashdodites who live on the western coastline. Which means that now their enemies literally surround Jerusalem. And they do not like that Israel is growing stronger because they like being able to manipulate and control them for economic political gain. So when they hear that Israel is growing stronger, they become angry and they start to threaten surprise attacks on them. So now add to the physical exhaustion fear of death. But to then add another element to what they're facing... Now their families are telling them, stop building the wall and come home and protect us. Because for many of these workers on the wall, their families lived in the countryside. And if you're in the countryside, that means some of them are looking out over their fields and seeing the enemies lining up right in front of them. And these are wives and kids at home and while their husbands are working on the wall, they're saying, who's going to protect us? Leave the work and come home. Sometimes when all we do is look at the enemy, it's very hard to have faith. And so we add to the physical exhaustion, fear of death, and to fear of death, worry over their families. And the big picture was if they could just finish building this wall, they could establish Jerusalem for generations to come. But right now it's a very real threat to miss the big picture and ultimately go towards self-protection and leave the project. Isn't it interesting that it seems like when they're most weak, that's when the opposition comes. And this is a pattern. The enemy of God launches his greatest attacks when we are most weak. Ephesians chapter 6 reminds us that our battle, the real battle that we fight, is not against human beings, flesh and blood. But Paul says that the real battle is against Satan, the enemy of God. And what he calls the spiritual forces of evil at work in the world. And how are they at work in the world? Well, 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8 says that the devil loves to prowl around like a lion. What do lions do? Lions look for the weakest, the most inexperienced, the sick, so that they can just take them out. How many of you guys have heard of John Bunyan before? John Bunyan is the famous English author of Pilgrim's Progress. Maybe you heard of that book. And when he was talking about the, the, the Christian journey, he said, if Satan cannot win a Christian by flatteries, he will endeavor to weaken him by discouragements. Because he knows that if our faith is strong and our, we're dependent upon God, that he can't attack us because we're living in the strength of God. And Satan is not stronger than God. But if he can get us to take our eyes off of God, and if he can weaken us in discouragement, if he can take cheap shots even against our own families, then he can get us to forget what it is that God is doing in our hearts and in our lives. And why? Why does he want to attack us and take our eyes off of God? Because if Satan can control us and manipulate us, then we'll never fulfill God's purpose for us. If he can discourage us, then we'll 
start thinking, well, maybe God doesn't care about me. And if God doesn't care about me, then now I'm going to look inward, grow afraid, and step back. And when I step back, now the enemy uses shame, bitterness, pride to blind us to what God is doing in our lives. And so now instead of seeing and looking for the needs around us, we start absorbing, we become absorbed with our own. Instead of recognizing the grace of God that is flowing out toward us, we become entitled, feeling like we deserve an easier life. Instead of living generously, we start gripping and hoarding our stuff and our time in self protection. Then, whether we're aware of it or not, we end up isolating ourselves from restorative relationships with other Christians who want God's best for us. Am I speaking to the real world? All Israel's enemies wanted to do was take their eyes off of God's mission so that they could continue to control and manipulate them. But when the tough got worse, how did Nehemiah lead his people to respond? When they were physically exhausted, afraid, worried about their loved ones, how did Nehemiah get them to stay focused on God's mission? And I can't help but wonder if Nehemiah were speaking to, you, to us right here, right now, just based on this chapter 4, what challenges would he give us? As we feel like, man, things don't seem to be getting better. And I think number one, as the challenges keep coming, remember who our God is. The reason why he says remember is because our first reaction and exhaustion and fear is actually to look away from God and look at ourselves. And our particular culture... We really want to believe that we are self-sufficient. You know, uh, we love quotes in America like this one by Joseph Kennedy. Maybe you can finish it. When the going gets tough, the tough get... That's right. That's right. When Rambo sees a bunch of innocent villagers who can't protect themselves, he, he doesn't pray. He rips his shirt off, shows his glistening pecs, and pulls out a machine gun. Right? Our, our culture... We, we praise the beautiful, self-sufficient hero. And when that's the standard for us, and we begin to notice weakness in our own lives, all of a sudden we start to feel ashamed of it, or we feel like we have to fake strength in front of people, or maybe even in front of God. But Nehemiah was not ashamed of his weakness. And right when he hears about the enemy's plot, he says he got down on his knees. He knew where his strength came from, and it came from a dependence on his sovereign creator. That he saw weakness as an opportunity to point to God's strength. And he says, do not be afraid. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Fear gives us spiritual amnesia. When we become afraid, all of a sudden we start forgetting who God is. And all the times that he's showed up in the past. But Nehemiah is saying, listen, if this is God's mission, and we are God's people, don't you know that God is going to fight for us? That we can trust that God is ultimately accomplishing his mission through us. That as we step out to be faithful to him, that we can rely on him to carry it through. And for us... Living here and now, 
We remember that when our sin was once owned, when, we're not, when all those sin once owned our hearts and minds, our God came to wage war for you and for me. That we did not, he did not come to rescue us with military might or human power, but he came in human weakness with an eternal might of unyielding love. That as he prayed in that garden, knowing the cross that was soon to be coming, he still got up, though he prayed in agony, he got up and stepped forward toward the cross. Why? His love. And his love was so strong, That he remained faithful to the mission of God even unto death so that we might be forever free from the power of sin. When Satan threw its worst at Jesus, he proved himself to be the strongest man who ever, ever, ever lived. And it is the spirit of Jesus who takes his residence within those who believe and trust in him as he works through us. To reach out to a lost and hurting world. Remember who our God is. When circumstances got worse, that was Nehemiah's charge. But then second, how did he equip them then to keep their eyes focused on God? Well, as the challenges keep coming, I think Nehemiah would say, remain ready for opposition, but not preoccupied by it. Nehemiah somehow gets word that there's going to be surprise attacks coming. And the first thing he does is to identify the vulnerable places and seek to protect them. Listen, if we know that Satan prefers to attack us when we're weak, it's wise to identify and be aware of where our weaknesses may be. It is so healthy as followers of Christ, instead of being ashamed or pretending we are not weak, To go to God and ask, God, where am I most tempted to take my eyes off of you? This might be worth getting a journal, writing it out, or talking it out with somebody. But but, but what temptations are most difficult for me to resist? Are there any circumstances that consistently trigger my fear or my anger? And as we become aware of those things... We consistently begin praying, God, may you shore up, may you protect, may you give me your strength in these particular areas. And as we trust God for that on a daily basis, Nehemiah says we remain ready for opposition, but we get busy doing what God told us to do. Sometimes we can get so preoccupied with the opposition that we miss God's mission. We can spend so much time arguing against things that we start to forget what we're even even living for. And the devil knows that if he can't hurt us, he's perfectly fine distracting us. That's kind of like my kids. One of my kids, that's a bad segue. (laughs) Making my kids in a bad light. But I've noticed how sometimes they get, they spend more energy on trying to protect their toys from each other than actually playing with them. And we can get so preoccupied with what's coming at us that we forget the God who's in front of us. And Nehemiah knew that their job, their mission wasn't to fight. Their job was to build. So he says, he says listen, carry a hammer in one hand but a sword in the other. Or for those who needed both hands, he says, strap a sword to your back. And he says, yeah, we're going to sleep all night in our armor. We're going to remain ready. 
But they knew their job wasn't to fight, go looking for a fight. Their job was to build. And that is the same for us. That our job as followers of Jesus is to seek first. That is build the kingdom of God. While also remaining ready, standing firm for any opposition that may want to come against us. Ephesians chapter 6 Uh, Paul says, if you want to understand what that looks like, he says, we're like good soldiers. He says that we are to stand firm, putting on the armor of God, the the helmet of salvation, the, the belt of truth, the feet with the readiness of the gospel of peace, the sword of the word, shield of faith. We put on the armor of God daily, regularly, that we understand what that is. However, our voices, our ears are not tuned to the enemy. Our ears are listening for our commander. And what it is that he's telling us to do. And see, Jesus, when he came to the earth, he didn't come go seeking out Pharisees to pick a fight with. He knew that if he walked faithfully in God's way, opposition would eventually come. In order to prepare himself for that, he he knew that he needed to know his father inside and out. Sometimes we spend a lot of time trying to get to know our enemy when actually we don't even know our father well yet. And when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness for 40 days, he was hungry. He was tired. He was at the end of his human limitations. He fought how? His God's word. He remained ready. And he was so ready that even at the height of pain, in the midst of crucifixion, he was so zeroed in on his father that he said, Father, forgive them if they don't know what they do. That's ready. That's ready. So Nehemiah, remembered who our, remember who our God is. Made ready for opposition, but not preoccupied with it. But what's his last challenge? For us here north of Boston in 2020, what does it look like to step forward in faithfulness to God's mission? He said, no matter what challenges face us, rally together in sacrificial love. When they were building along the wall, it means that they were pretty spread out. A few teams working here and there, but spread out, meaning that they were pretty susceptible to attack. If a surprise attack came all of a sudden, they wouldn't have enough men to be able to fight or form a resistance. And so Nehemiah found a guy. He said, here's a trumpet. If you see anybody coming near, I want you to blow the snot out of that thing. And then we are all going to rally to that point and fight for each other. Nehemiah knew if we're we're God's people, then we have a responsibility for one another. And this is such a beautiful picture to me of the church. But unfortunately, in our me first kind of society... Many people expect the church to just be a place to serve them instead of being a community where they can also serve others. Many times we step into church saying, what did I get out of it today? Or how did that serve me? And that becomes the basis by which we judge whether we actually get involved or not. And we start treating church, the community of God, like any other product or service in our me first society. How does this serve me? But let me say this front and forth. Like the church... It's not about you. It's not about me. And if the church is about me or you, we will miss the big picture. 
If we are followers of Christ, we are bound to one another. Paul says that means we are each individual members of one body together, invested in the same mission to see God's kingdom come here. And to be the church, it means that we learn to bring, sacrificially bring our time, our energy, our resources, our, our talents together so that we can grow rooted in Jesus together and reach out to our community. And if one of us is under attack, if one of us is feeling weak, if one of us is not doing well, then we learn to reach out to our small group. We learn to reach out to the prayer line. Take us up on the whole need help thing. Reach out to us. I don't know, if you have a trumpet, blow it. Whatever, right? But we learn to rally together because that's what we're meant to be. Don't underestimate the power of just being next to somebody, of praying for somebody. Man, last weekend, man, I was preaching a sermon, and like just writing that sermon was hard as I don't know what. Like I, I was just struggling big time writing last weekend's sermon. And I reached out to the prayer line, and all of a sudden I hear that ten women were together and they circled up and they prayed for me. And pride almost made me not reach out. Man, we need each other. We need each other. And if we are people learning to follow in the way of Jesus, Jesus, the one who was divine, but even didn't see his divine nature as something to be used for his own selfish benefit, but instead he became a servant. He humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. And Paul says that if, that if we understand that that's our God and the way we live and treat each other as a, as, as a community is going to be a total current against the whole me-first theology of our society. Paul says, actually, if we get that that's our God, he says, then we're not going to do anything out of selfish ambition or conceit. In humility, we're going to count others more significant than ourselves. Each of us are not just going to look to our own interest, but the interest of others. We're going to rally. We're going to listen. We're going to keep an ear open. So as the challenges keep coming, we remember who our God is. Remain ready for opposition. We rally together. You know, during this whole COVID season, I like you, you've probably seen them too. Seen a lot of signs in stores that say, you know, we're in this together. <laughs> we're in this together. And, I, and I've heard politicians say it or, or, or celebrities say it. And, and it's nice, right? It's nice. It's, uh, it's when we're all having a hard time, it's a message of hope. But if I'm honest, like, that statement feels empty to me unless Christ is at the center of that community. Unless Christ is at the very core of who we are called to be, then, then what really holds us together? And then I ask too, we're united together for what? For what? But when we stop and consider what it means to be the church of Jesus, that each of us, we were once alienated and separated from our holy creator, following the path of whatever we thought wise and our, by our own darkened reasoning. But a heart of our God craved to rescue us. And so he bridged the divide between heaven and earth. And he became one of us. 
And then he took the penalty of our sin in his body that we might be forgiven, that he might be one with us. And he says, therefore, all who believe are now one with each other while we are also one with Christ. And for what? That we learn to walk in the way of Jesus together and invite this world to know him too. And I just want to say, if you're listening right now, either in here or online, and you do not know who Jesus is, I beg you, turn your heart, your life over to him. Allow him to be the one who completely restores the brokenness, the anxiety, the fear, the anger, the trauma, the hurt, the pain. He gave his very life because he loves you that much that you might be restored. Do not ignore that, 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 that internal irritation that is telling you to say yes. And if you don't know what that means, please reach out to me. Reach out to Pastor David. If you know somebody else in here who's been walking with Jesus for a while, reach out to them. Pastor David and I will be outside after this. Come see us. We'd love to pray with you. But he wants to restore and for us, the church of Jesus, no matter what happens this week, no matter what challenges come our way, no matter what comes, do we know that we have a God who will return? Jesus will return. There is no challenge, there is no brokenness that is eternal. Only He is. And as the challenges keep coming, remember who our God is. Remain ready for opposition. Rally together. Pray with me. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the ways that you are consistently working in and through us. Thank you for giving your life, your very blood, your body, that we might be forgiven. And God, as we prepare now to celebrate this meal, we are one body together unified in you. I pray that your presence would be so thick in this place. That your spirit would work to convict us in areas where we may have taken our eyes off of you, but not in shame or guilt, but in grace. That you might show us that you have a better way. And God, that you consistently point our eyes towards you, that even as the challenges keep coming and we're feeling tired, we remember who you are. We remain ready, and we learn to rally together. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.